0: You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. Featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California. Presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Geek Nerd Tech. Featuring a weekly roundup of tech news and gossip. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Geek Nerd Tech.
1: Time keeps on flipping, flipping. Bad version of that. Uh, you a customer? Welcome to Geek Nerd Tech, the show we break down nerd culture, tech news from a black geek perspective. Um, I'm Joe Braswell. As always, I'm joined by my man Achilles Shine. What's good, man? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. we like, every other week thing right now, right?
2: I know, man. We've been a uh, pretty busy handling thing. So yes, yeah. Uh,
1: but we're back. Uh, lots, lots to discuss. I mean, the last time we were here, we were talking about um, I forget. Oh, we, we came back from. Uh, E3. E3, yeah, yeah which E3. was good too. Uh, did we, we we did talk about how much I love Godzilla. By the way, it's been every other week, but I know. We, okay, we had the conversation. Okay, yeah. I love Godzilla. All right, just just for the <laughs> record, Uh E3 was dope. For the for the record, is too. But we're back with a lot to discuss this week as well. Um, let's just jump right into it. Cause there's a lot of tech news when you to get to. Uh let's talk about this whole uh, you know, the Bezos and Amazon. We talked last week or two weeks ago about uh their sort of ho hum announcement of the their music player, which we're all kinda like boring. Exactly. But now they've announced their uh their
0: fire
2: <laughs> fire phone. Amazon's putting me to sleep.
1: No, come on. Fire That is a terrible <laughs> name. Fire.
2: My phone
1: is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that, you know, that's their brand—the Kindle Fire, of course, you know, Prime. They're trying to keep it in with that um, with that theme, but you're not to be happy. Well, well, first of all, there's a lot of complaints, a lot of. Um, it's a very polarized announcement. Some people think it's really incredible, some really incredible innovations. It's got that like sort of that three D thing where it can recognize, you know, products and things and uh it dynamically looks amazing when you're looking at it. You tilt the screen around, kinda like the dynamic thing the iPhones have. Um the way you get in and out of apps are very cool. It's got a lot of bells and whistles. But a lot of people are saying is we don't need all that ish. Yeah. Like, just make the phone work.
2: Yeah. I mean I think you know, in the technological age that we're in, um, I think that's exactly it. The bells and whistles really aren't important. What's most important is is good uh, user experience. Like you want to be on the phone and be able to do the tasks that you do, um, every day, and you want to be able to do that fluidly. And so, if some of those bells and whistles get in the way of you um, booking something on your calendar or pulling up a a name in your address book or going in and out of apps, like that stuff gets old. And I think, um, I think you know with him, you know, in terms of his company. Obviously, he wants to make a good presentation with the design and all that. But, you know, people, I mean, competing against the iPhone and Android devices, like, I just don't see the Fire Phone um,
1: (laughs) really penetrating the marketplace. So, uh We'll see. I mean, like, look, I mean, we're, we're America's sucker for a uh, sucker and I'm one of them sucker for gimmicks and gadgets. Uh I mean, I think that a lot of what the Samsung phone was able to do is really just make it something anti iPhone and with screen size. It's like, what are all the I, things that the iPhone's not? Right. And we're going to do that. And it's done very well doing that. I think that what the challenge that, that that Bezos and Amazon has is like, what are all the things that Samsung's not? What are the things that iPhone's not? Let me try to do it over here. But that may be a little, you know, a little I, too much. I
2: think too, like, what is least a distasteful, um, I guess, yeah, what's distasteful to me is that, you know, it's, it's, he's not opening it up to Google Play. No. So if someone wants to get apps from Google Play, they cannot. Um, and, I, and I just asked the question, like, <sighs> what developer is going to, be so giddy to develop apps for the Fire Phone. Right. Like, how many people are going to use the Fire Phone where there's going to be infrastructure for apps? And the apps that they have are probably going to be very cheesy.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that he's banking on the fact that, you know, he's really all about building out his own infrastructure. That's what he's famous for. I think that there's already an existing... Um, an existing ecosystem, if you will, like in, in Amazon, whether it's, you know, through Amazon Fresh or Amazon Prime or, you know, you get your, you get your books, you got your, you know, products, you got your TV shows. So he's already has an existing infrastructure. So what he's about doing is creating these devices, the devices that'll help you get to his shit better, you know, and faster. Yeah. And so, um, that, that, that's that maybe good for him, but maybe not so great for the consumer. That, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't,
2: unless his, his in-house developing team, He's going to come up with some really unique stuff. I don't see, like, a, like an independent developer, like, Giddy, to develop for that versus Google Play or something for the App Store. Right. Like, so, and I, you know, I, I just, you know, I look at the comparison of, like, Craigslist, something that's very simple. The design hasn't changed much over the right. years, but very effective. Yep. And I think, you know, that's, I think people are sophisticated enough
1: to know that, that these are bells and whistles, and right. they'll get over it quickly. Right. So, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. I'm not running down to get my, 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 uh, my fire, yet, But we'll see how it, uh, how it works out. Um, so I want to move on to the next story, which is about the publishing industry. Like you know, a lot of talk about we talk a lot about film and what's going to happen to the, the, the music industry is dead, and what's going to happen to the, the television industry, and what's going to happen to all these different industries are dying and fading and, and, and moving around. And one of those was the publishing industry in terms of magazines and books. And the story. That that I was just reading um, is is sort of like talking about how the the demise of the publishing industry is greatly exaggerated, um, and I, I agree. I mean, there's there's reports that you know actually all of this, um, um, all all of this uh, these new technologies finally the finally publishing industry is catching up to all these new technologies and platforms. There's this whole push when you know. Uh, when the internet first came on the scene, the web first came on the scene. The web pages like, who's going to want to hold a hold a newspaper? Who's going to want to hold a magazine? Who's going to read a book? Well, it, the, to the publishing industry's credit, they found out new ways to monetize all of these things beyond all of these devices, and it's thriving, which is a big shock. Um, I,
2: I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think it's thriving um, in, in this in this age that we're in now. Um, But I don't think the publishing industry is changing. I just think, like, the revenue models are changing. I think that, you know, the infrastructure of how, you know, people – you know, write and put together stuff is the same, but I think, like I said, the revenue model is different. So um, I think if, you know, a lot of these these big pub houses give away some of their content and they build their fan base and they're able to, you know, use that fan base to go to an advertiser, and that's how they make money versus directly selling to like the, the end consumer. Right. Just give, give the product for free and, and build your consumer base and, and and then have an advertiser come in and, and pay money to advertise their product to your consumer base. I think that's kind of like the, the revenue model that a lot of these guys are using aside from, you know, the the you know, you download the app and then you're able to purchase like, you know, the the magazine or the periodical that way. I mean I think those ways are effective as well. Um but yeah, um I think in terms of on your tablet or on your phone, like it's all about design. Right. Like if it if it looks sleek and clean, like I think people are gonna engage in it and buy it and consume it. If it's if it's like if it's not competitive in that sense, I don't think people
1: are really going to go for it. And also, it it's quality, right? So like, you know, there there's, there's okay. you know, a lot of my I get most of my um news now from my Twitter feed that links me to something that's probably some publication, that's an online publication. So whether it's Slate or uh, you know, Vulture or uh Grantland or 538, these are all like credible, wonderful with great writers and great content, mm-hmm. all that live exclusively <laughs> online that uh, I just love reading long form stuff as much as I still enlo- enjoy reading the New Yorker and mm-hmm. Vanity Fair and some of these other magazines as well. So it's really about the quality, and that. So I, I think of, of your writers and your content. Number one, and number two, was what you said. It's about the presentation. Like no one wants to just read an old school, horrible, you know, uh pop up laden, really goofy website. you just right. got to be clean and slick, and. I think they've done a lot of great job with the magazines. The print magazines are looking fantastic. Like I, yeah. I I get all my print magazines and I still love them all, I get them all on my iPad and the experience on my iPad I find it actually better than yeah. you know, than, than my print experience and carrying those magazines around. I, I mean, um
2: to that not to cut you off, but to that point I think the digital version of like say an article is, is more it's more effective because the, the writer can can have, you know, he can expound upon a topic versus right. for print, it's locked in. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You write, you know, a few paragraphs or whatever, and that's it. Versus sure. with the digital, you could have, like, Links and you could have you know other things you can you can navigate yes. through the topic much better Certainly. and give give
1: the user you know more more value and I think that's really cool too yeah and you see that in magazines you see that like, in, like again like the Grandlands of the world there's no double topic they'll have an article they'll be li- they'll be YouTube links along the way and clips along the way so mm-hmm. it's definitely a more interactive experience so good good because good for the publishing industry because I like to read and uh, I'm glad reading isn't dead um, <laughs> right but another thing that's not dead is also the 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 success of this is sort of greatly exaggerated is world cup that's happening right now i mean uh and we all have world cup fever at least i do i'm 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 all in it, t- it takes me a while it takes me like a week to get warmed up i mean four years ago it took me like a week and a half you know two weeks and then I was all in um this year it take it took me about a week week and a half and i'm all in um went to see the last two two american matches and there were Packed everywhere I went was packed. I was in Denver for one. It was like every block was packed. I was in uh, yesterday, it was around around Melrose. Every bar was packed out Um, black folks, white folks, like crazy, you know. So, um, but the truth is, is these were experiencing record, record excitement and record numbers. But the truth is, America still doesn't really love soccer. The metrics don't really point to. you know what you know that we really are as engaged as as it seems to be, as it seems now we you and I talked about before about how this world cup is going to be the most engaged you know tweeted about worldwide which is still true but in america the biggest ratings you know the 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 USA versus Ghana which was record record ratings to you know 11.1 it, 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 i mean um it it did uh, 11, million, 11 million viewers is dwarfed between the hundred million viewers that you know the fell gets or the London Olympics gets. See, and it's interesting.
2: Let's see that with that statistic, you're taking one game. There's, ton, there's millions of Americans that are watching all. Millions of Americans that are watching all the games. That's just the game versus Ghana. Like so, if you if you aggregated all the viewership for all the games, like the numbers would probably be top.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because like in the, the statement is like, well, America's not in the World Cup, but. They'll watch America, you'll watch Team USA play, mm-hmm. and those ratings are pretty strong. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you did aggregate all of what everyone's watching, you know, Italy versus Burma or whatever, <laughs> you know, then you'll get you get a bigger number. Yeah, because regardless if USA is winning,
2: losing, or even in the World Cup, yeah, you know, the World Cup is still exciting. You still want to see who's going to take the prize, who's going to win at the, at the very end. Right. And I mean, like, like I, I've, I've been glued to it, I've been watching, you know, all the time, every, almost every game. And it's yeah. very exciting. Like, just to see, I mean, there's almost like this festival atmosphere. People sure. are out with lawn chairs, watching it on, in parks and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, That's
1: crazy to me. Like, I, I, to be honest, aside from the Olympics, I haven't seen anything like that. Is it? I'm going to ask you this, this is question that everyone asks about World Cup. Is it sticky? Because I, I, I promise you, four years ago. I was, you could not find a bigger World Cup fan. I was all, I was waking up at 7 a.m., going down <laughs> to the Nike spot. I was watching the games, waving flags, high-fiving, you know, French people and and and, and Africans and doing a chant. And then I forgot all about it. I and mean, now this year I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, soccer. Is it sticky? Like when it's all said and done, because I will be by the end, I will be, you know, I had the, the Venezuela. I was in. And now, I don't know.
2: I mean, I I think when the World Cup's over, I think we're going to go back to, you know, other interests. And I think four years, you know, from now, we'll be back juiced, ready to go again. I don't don't think, I think we have so much variety of entertainment with, with sports that I don't think, I think it's going to take a long time for soccer to be that top bill entertainment sport thing that we gravitate to. I don't think, I think with like the the communal spirit and the, the, the masochism that we get from football, I don't think soccer Will ever overshadow that ever?
1: I agree. Okay, well, uh, (laughs) let's move on to another another purchase, another high profile purchase. Uh, uh, Looks like Google um, has bought. uh, Well, uh, let me back this up. Google purchased Nest, which is sort of a uh, online security and and they do uh, like uh, alarms and uh, fire uh, photo alarms. We call them home monitoring. system. Right. I mean, well, Nest. Nest does like, uh, they do like um, home surveillance and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And then Nest has bought DropCam, which yeah. is like a monitoring cam situation. Yeah. But the concern is, I don't know if it's a concern, It's just a question, is they're all owned by Google and why is, so the question is, why is Google getting into the monitoring business? Mm-hmm. you have an answer, you have an answer for that? I mean, well, like you said, Google owns
2: Nest. Nest owns DropCam. Google bought it for 3.2 Google bought Nest for three point two billion, Nest bought dropcam for, you know, half um, five hundred million dollars. And so from my understanding, um Nest has, you know, exclusive rights to Dropcam. and what, what that user base is not going like they're not they don't run it with ads, so Google is not going to get their information. Wow. So I don't think that I mean, and that's the fine line because yo dropcam is hardware but they're also in the in the cloud business. And that's 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 really what the argument is. Like, so you have a home monitoring service, and all that's being recorded and uploaded to the cloud, so that you can store it. And so now, where does that information go? Does Google. Google does Google have? You know, can they activate that? Can yes. they use that? Yes. <laughs> and I think that's the argument. <laughs> but I mean, in in um, the Nest, I guess licensing agreement saying that Google
1: can't. So I don't know. Right uh it's the thing about these licensing agreements and all these all these things that that come up. I mean, a perfect example of is this whole net neutrality thing that was that that came up. It you know the whole notion that um if you are a service provider and that that are broadcasting stuff you can't control the internet and the speed at which the internet comes because obviously that means if i can control how fast hbo comes versus how fast showtime comes and i work for hbo that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So that was like there was all kinds of laws in place to make that not happen. Well, all those all those things in place were only in place for a couple of years. They're all expiring now, and we're having all this this this, this trouble and things now. My point is, is that at the purchase of all these things, everyone always says the same thing: mm-hmm. "Oh no, no, no! On, on Facebook, we're buying drones, but it's only for monitoring. Oh no, 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 no! We're <laughs> we're buying surveillance, but don't worry, we can't do that. That's." those laws are will, will be changed and will be broken and those systems will be in place and uh, you know mark zuckerberg will be dropping facebook bombs on your head from, from the from the drone I mean, but that's and what, google will be spying on your on your on you and knowing what's going on that's across the board though your cell
2: phone i mean yeah, the government says they're not tapping into your cell phone, but I bet you they are. Well, they can. Like,
1: but the but technology I bet you exists. they are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and All so, right. like, I mean, so do you not use a cell phone? Right. Well, I'm not trying to get on them. I'm I am not want to turn into, like, you know, Conspiracy Corner, you know, with Jonah Keeley. But, yeah. It's the same argument, though. It's the same argument. I, I just I just think that, uh, you know, I, we do this show, we do the tech show, and my position is always, like, I'm scared to death. I mean, if someone's going to purchase this device, they have an option to not use the cloud service. Uh-huh. So
2: they don't have to upload, um, hundreds of hours of, of home surveillance. Like, what what, what do you need that for?
1: Yeah. They don't have to, but they can't. And it's, and, okay. and, and, and it's, and it's available. Yeah. I guess that's, that's the issue, but we'll see. You know, we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but I think it's interesting. It also feels, it just also feels I hate that weird feeling when like you buy a company and then the company you bought buys something, you know, it just feels like, I don't know. It's just, it's all Google. You're not fooling anyone. Like, just say Google bought it. Like, don't give me the like, oh, we didn't, this was Nest. Nest bought it. It's just, I don't, know. I don't know. Anyway, okay, let's move on. Um I want to talk about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts, which is the, 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 the demise and reformation and realignment and then, and, and still maybe demise of the music industry as we know it, you know. Um, um. so we, we know, about Spotify and, and and first iTunes sort of changed the music industry as we know it. And then Spotify and Pandora came on the scene. Um, you know, Beats Music is now on the scene. Apple's bought be- Beats Music. There's a lot of stuff happening here with, with, with music. And it seems that they've kind of solved this problem of like, you know, getting people music, the music industry making money, and everyone's sort of happy with all these different systems. But the problem seems to still be is that the artists are – finding it harder and harder and harder to get paid and harder and harder and harder to come up with these revenue streams. Absolutely. And if you're without artists making money, you know, the music industry is in trouble is is, is the thesis. Yeah. Um, what do you think of any of this? I mean, I, I think, I think it's the same.
2: It's the same infrastructure. The music industry has a, is using the same infrastructure of old. It's just in a different form. And that infrastructure is where an artist will create something and they'll give up their artist rights, their publishing so that they can have distribution. And so these big music record label companies, you know, that's their form of distribution like the Spotify's, the all all these a lot of these subscription um streaming services that you mentioned are are partially owned by some of the major labels. So it's like so you give up your publishing so that you can have the audience. Right. And I think that's what where the change needs to happen. Like I think artists need to really focus away from that traditional route of going to a major label or having, you know, a major distribution channel. Like, have your own audience perform, tour, and, like, keep it keep it as niched as possible and, and organically grow it. I think it's always going to be a problem with artists starving when they do that, when they, when they go the traditional route. Be it, you know, from buying a record in store to buying it on iTunes to having it, you know, streamed on Spotify or Beats Music. Right. So that's my that's my take on it.
1: Well, it's interesting because I, I, iTunes was a model that seemed to make sense because it was a as a pay you know pay per play model. You buy a ninety nine cent song now dollar twenty nine whatever it is, and a portion of that goes to Apple, a portion that goes to the audience artists. It's pretty transparent. Everybody wins. You sell a lot of you sell a lot of songs. You make a lot of money mm-hmm. in the end. Um, with these streaming services like Spotify and Beats Music and now Amazon and others. um, you pay a monthly fee, mm-hmm. so I pay right now. I pay nine, I pay ten bucks a month, and I get everything at twenty million songs, ten bucks mm-hmm. a month. So that ten bucks a month times I don't know whatever it is, you know, however many million users can't pay everybody like the say, The pie is not as equal. Absolutely. So artists, so artists like you two and, and and those other bigger artists and Madonna, well, you know whoever Drake and mm-hmm. whoever these other people are are still going to get paid because they are, have the giant share of the pie. Of course, you know? but these uh, smaller artists like I don't know the Afghan wigs or. Far Side or whoever else, they don't get that same share of the pie. How do you split up that pie? Mm-hmm. How do you split up that that that, that my my nine ninety nine? How does that split up? Well, I know on that nine ninety nine, you know, uh, Drake's going to get this much, but everyone else going to get this much. That twenty, it's not enough for twenty million artists. And that's
2: a big argument, you know, with the, you know the the two major um, publishing um, music publishing companies, ASCAP and BMI. Perform at least your performance publishing. Right. Like, what's the rate? Like, what like. What rate is it? Is it the same for you know the larger artists that have a huge audience that you know get more streaming right. or, or or like you suggest the, the artists that have a small fan base or are more niched or more regional? Like how do, how do they get their performance rights when when they're streamed?
1: Yeah, like a, how do they get? What's the rate? You know yeah, and it's so that's uh, it also it's really changing ASCAP and BMI and and, mm-hmm. the, and all those services like as it well. It's like really that business model is not the same as it used to be. You mm-hmm. know so. Um, I, I think too. I think the value
2: of a song is is nil. It's cheapen because I mean, at least with iTunes, you know, the value of a song is like you said, ninety nine cents or dollar right. twenty. And now it's like, what is the value of a song? You stream it all day. Yeah. Like you can, you have access to thousands of songs that you can listen to with the press of a button. So
1: what is like the value of it? Yeah, because so, it's one thing when you can you know. Either, it's the same. thing, right. Because back in the old days, when you when you make a record, you know the the, the record has X amount of value. The song has value. This is what the the ASCAP and the BMIs. sell, so you can sell. If I wrote Happy Birthday, then mm-hmm. presumably I'm paid Happy mm-hmm. Birthday. You know whatever. So what is the value of that now? When you know everyone, there's no there's no way to sign. You know, uh, like I said, any of those rights to something that's streamed forever, forever more from all these multiple devices legally. Forget and I didn't talk about illegally and other other forms and. Um, you have SoundCloud now, you have all these other places, you know, Vivo and YouTube music and uh Facebook and all these people who are training into the music business. Like where is the value of that song? So mm-hmm. um, it's up to artists, and I know it's always up to artists to use that exposure to, you know, get those Live Nation deals, like Jay Z and those others, who get these gigantic, you know, half a billion dollar deals to go perform, mm-hmm. which is how you monetize and, and merchandise and everything else. But everyone can't do that, like you know, most like, artists
2: yeah. gotta, gotta gotta tour three hundred sixty five days a year, right? And they gotta build it organically, like I said. And I, I feel the, the artists that that do that do that heavy lifting in the beginning and, and grind it out and work and. Hit the road and control their music. Like those are the artists that emerge and and really like Jay Z. That's what Jay Z did. You know, yeah. even in the old days. So to me, that that strategy is still the same even now with sure. all the technology. You got to do the same. Like looking for a major label to back you and distribute you. I don't. I, I still think that you know that's people aren't going for that.
1: No, yeah. uh, it's really just all. I mean, all of this, this, the way we consume media and the way we um, commoditize media and the way. It's still fast. It's a fascinating ongoing story from the demise of the music industry to the reformation of the music industry to television to film to publishing. We talked about it earlier. It's really interesting how um, our current times has changed the way the business of receiving art and content. Um, and so we'll see how this, this whole thing goes.
2: You know, my last note on it. Yeah. I think is, I think this is key too is the, you know, the democratization of art because of technology. Technology gives, um, everyone access to become an artist, to become a musician. Right. Um, and so that cheapens, that, that promotes mediocrity. And so I think that makes it more difficult for a true artist to, like, emerge because there's so much noise. There's right. so much noise to, like, funnel through. So when you're dealing with, like, a Spotify or Beats Music, it's so much access. Like, how do I pinpoint on what's really great? Right. And the only way to do that is to show me that you can perform, show me that you
1: are truly an artist through other ways. Right. So... Well, it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out, but it's, uh, it's, it's it's very, it's just an ongoing story to follow, just as people who, you know, make their living in in, 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 this, in the world of art commerce. It's sad, man. You know, as, as artists who make our living in the world of art commerce, it's interesting to see how, where, where we get
2: left out. I'm just disappointed. Like, I'm, uh, being, like, in the music industry and being an artist, it's just disappointing that, you know, you could come from... A time where you could you could make millions of dollars off a
1: record, and now you have to like struggle, yeah. like really struggle just to get your record heard, right? right. Or yeah. even like you know, like you know, we're having a conversation with someone the other day about music videos. Like, why, 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 who make, who pays for those? when you win more. I mean, I'm so glad they make them. Like, I, you know, I'm watching a video the other day for something, and I was like, oh, it's a great video, but who paid for this thing? Like the, the the economics aren't the same. No one's right. going to pay a million dollars, five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, two hundred thousand dollars for a video, mm-hmm. for a single, mm-hmm. for what? Yeah, you people know? aren't and buying. It's, singles. All, it's all promotional. Yeah. It's just a weird thing. So, anyway, it's interesting. Um, Alright, so moving forward to another subject that's near and dear to my heart, Star Wars, as we know. Um uh we're kinda late on this, but we're here. because could do our show what it is. You know, uh there was an announcement that uh Ryan Johnson would will, di- will write and direct the next two Star Wars films, which is pretty huge. Um Ryan Johnson, if you don't know, is the guy who's responsible for the um very, very good, interesting sci fi movie Looper, which 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 was which was great. And um yeah, man, I mean uh I don't know. Like, I, I'm really... Well, what are your thoughts on this? Do you have any thoughts on this whatsoever? Because I have thoughts. I mean, my thoughts are only... It's just interesting in terms
2: of, you know... I'm, well, I'm interested to see how the first one's going to pan out. Okay. And, like, you know, how that's going to look and how that's going to feel. And then, I mean, I, I think I think he can do it. I think he has the expertise to, 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 to make a classic. Um, I'm a little
1: ambivalent. I don't really know, to be honest. Um, there's a couple of things that bother me about this. Uh, the first thing is... I'm worried about, you know, JJ, all the fanfare about JJ Abrams and Star Wars and all the fanfare about, uh, you know, this happening. I, I, it, it's, it's curious to me that they would announce so early that he's not coming back. Cause he's the guy who's gonna be able to set the tone after, no matter what this movie does, let's just say this movie is, you know, explodes like we know it will and it's amazing, it's the best thing ever. Aren't you gonna wanna see JJ Abrams come back? You know, so the fact that they're announcing that he's not coming back and these other guys are right next to his already. I feel like it's a little early and weird for me. Maybe it's, it's
2: something political.
1: Maybe it's something wrong in the wheelhouse over there. Yeah, that, that's, that's all I can think. It's like, well, you're not coming back. But it's weird. But it's J. Abrams, so I don't understand what's happening there unless he has a franchise, unless he knows that he's going to be locked up for the next Five years doing his own stuff, right, he has right. his own that, movies. That's possible. He's like, I can't be locked up for the next nine years doing Star Wars movies, right. which is fair enough, yeah. right? So, and then the other thing is, is that like. Okay, fair enough. Then why would you lock him up for both movies? Right. Like, why not just get a guy to do one and then go get like a Neil Bluckenkamp from District 9 or someone else to do the third one or go right. get, go out and get my man, um. Uh, Saying so uh, switch it up every time. Yeah, the, the other, there's so many great little, great direct directors like my guy who just did Godzilla, uh, I can't remember his name, but like get him to do the third one. Get all these, there's so many people who are Gen Xers like me who grew up with Star Wars, who are talented filmmakers who were, were dying to do this. Now, obviously Ryan Johnson is one of those people because he's, he's a, a visionary and then, and you know, but um, I not know. It, it really, I, 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 I hope that it's great, but it feels like a weird move to me. I don't know. It, it feels a little weird. Um, like I said, I'm,
2: I'm still excited to see you know what JJ does with the first one. Um, hopefully it's explosive. Hopefully, it, like he sets the he sets the tone, sets the bar extremely high,
1: which I think he will. Right. Uh, I want to skip uh, a couple stories here. I want to, I want to skip the next three stories there. And I want to go to uh, Facebook Slingshot uh, because, uh, you know, there's, there was so much noise about Facebook purchasing – I mean the whole trying to purchase Snapchat. and so much noise about Snapchat and what it is. We all knew that, that Facebook would come up with their own version of Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they, they have their, their Slingshot and now there's a lot of PR, a lot of like uh, talk about – how much better it is than Snapchat and how much more it does, and how much more of a it can be more like a feed and right. um, I, you know, I, I just started using Snapchat to be honest i 've been using it for about a month hmm. uh, i don 't really send i also i use it the same way I use Twitter hmm. you know, I follow a bunch of people and they always do a bunch of crazy stuff and then I <laughs> and then I just watch them do it and then uh you know um but uh i don't know what what are your thoughts on snapchat what are your thoughts on facebook and 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 this whole their whole new thing slingshot i mean i think facebook had to come up with an answer to snapchat
2: and obviously slingshot is that answer um like, you gotta ask yourself, what are the differences between Slingshot and Snapchat? Snapchat, you send content and person reviews the content and it's gone. Right. Uh, Slingshot, person sings, uh, sends content and for you to review or experience that content, you have to send something back first. Right. So, I think that's an interesting, uh, way to communicate, you know what I'm saying? But I think in terms of the immediate, immediacy of the content, I think it's more of just like an entertainment thing. It's, it's less of a messaging service and more of just a kind of like, I just want to get information and interact with my buddies or whatever.
1: Well, it's, it's back to the Bezos thing. It's like the gimmick thing, right? I mean, like Snapchat, obviously we, we know there's infinite ways to communicate via, you know, devices and, and the internet. So we can, we can email, we can text, we can da, da, da. So Snapchat was also a way to sort of do that. But now this whole notion of, um, you know, I, I'll send you a message, but you don't want to say it until you give me your mm-hmm. message first. It uh, seems problematic, especially in the romantic thing. Like you know, somewhat. you got to think kids though. Think think like sure. a kid. Think like a teenager. Okay, let me try. <laughs> All I think of like is uh, you know me, me sending a picture of me like, baby, I love you, and then I can't. And then she sends, but she can't. I can't even read what no. So she sent something to me. I can't stand you. <laughs> I know exactly. She sent the best to me, and I'm like, ah, oh, she loves me. Let me let me send her something back. I love you too. And I said it, It's like I hate you, Mom. You know, <laughs> so that whole thing is really, it's funny to me. But uh, well, I think that's that's it. It's the it's the
2: mystique. It's the the. Mystique behind it, like, like, and I think that keeps it, it keeps it ever evolving. Like, oh, I wonder what, I wonder what they're gonna send me. I yeah. wonder what this is, or like, okay, so that 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 piques your interest, and and also maybe you, you, it allows creativity. Like, let me come up with something that's really unique
1: or whatever. Right. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, it, this is sort of what these devices do, and um, it, it does have the opportunity and the potential to um. To become something big and you know in in the culture and everything else, but I think it's a little gimmicky. Uh, agreed. Speaking of gimmicky, well, not so gimmicky. Let's move on to uh, Chelsea Handler and Netflix. So, um, you know, Netflix has been in the news a lot, content-wise, for the past uh, you know you know eighteen months, uh, making these original content plays, uh, sort of just really passing HBO in terms of subscriptions and everything else. Um, and now they're really they've they've done great in the drama space with uh, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, the comedy space with the rest of Development, some other stuff, the horror space with um Hemlock Grove and other stuff, and they've got comedy specials. But the place they haven't done is in the late night talk show space, and mm-hmm. it's a weird thing. They just had this huge deal with Chelsea Handler to do multiple things. She's going to be doing multiple sort of specials, these one off specials. Okay. Uh, a comedy special thing. They're going to be doing these like sort of a uh, adventures thing, where like you know, her and a, her and Jennifer Aniston will go on an adventure in Bali or something, and they'll mm-hmm. they'll shoot that, and then she'll do her whatever her talk show will be. Uh, the idea of a talk show on Netflix that's evergreen yeah. is an interesting concept. It's very like, interesting. what do you first of all? What do you think of them taking this big bet on Chelsea Handler of all people? And then, uh, what do you think of the, the the idea of the talk show that's evergreen? I
2: think it's a good move.
1: I think Netflix
2: is, is smart to do this. I think uh, Chelsea Handler is, is a strong personality. I think she's very charismatic. I think her show is solid. I think she has a good fan base. Um, so. I think with with the with her style of show and her style of comedy, I think the late night show will work for her. And and I, I think uh, Netflix is using this as like a, a like a palate cleanser. Like, so you do your binge watching, you watch all these other shows, and now you want or you watch a movie, your doc. This is something that you could watch to kind of like bridge go, going to another show. Something that's quick, something that's you know light, fun, entertaining. Um, that's not you know necessarily a film or a doc um and so i i think it's innovative i think it's unique i think um i think i think it'll be very interesting i think people will go for
1: it here's the thing though. what about you well I, I it's interesting because a couple a couple things with it number one um their 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 netflix strategy been to put all these things up at once and you watch them at your leisure well this is a top sort of a topical show so you won't be able to put them all at once so you will actually have to tune in and have mm-hmm. them but as i thought about this i thought you know how do i consume these shows now i've got literally 18 Jimmy Fallon's on the DVR right now Mm -hmm. I've got 12 Seth Meyers I've got uh, 10 Conans you know I've got they're they're sitting there I've got so many daily shows up up there uh so they're sitting up there, you know, this is how I can how I consume them. Yeah. I'll get on like from I'm, I've been gone for like ten days. Mm-hmm. I come home right now, I start to look through the guests I look at the main comedy bit, I look at the first segment, and I move forward. That's some, how I think it'll work. Some people do it online. Some people yeah. just on do, YouTube. Yeah. On YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like, what did Jimmy Fallon do? What, mm-hmm. what was funny? What did Jimmy Kimmel? Just the do? sketches. Yeah. So just the sketches, yeah. right? So this is a great model for that. Absolutely. It just occurred to me like, oh, we're not in a world anymore. We tune in at eleven thirty, you know, and watch eleven thirty and watch the Thing and go to bed. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe some people do, but it's really a world where they're doing comedy shows and we're we're tuning in for these comedy bits. So that's Mm -hmm. what she's doing. So, in that in that regard, I think it could work. You know, for sure. So I think it's a really smart, bold move on on Netflix's part. So, and I I think you
2: know it it really diversifies their. They're pantheon, pantheon of shows. Yeah. Like, I think this is, this is unique. This is embroach, uh, Im- embroking over new territory. Yeah. So,
1: who, who knows ex- well, where they will expand from here? Yeah, who knows? Um, well, that's good. So, I, the, other, uh, the other thing I want to talk about, which is near and dear to your heart, because I know you'd be wilding out at things like this, is, uh, the EDC. The Electric Daisy Carnival. I'll be wilding out. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. They just, came, it just, you know, you just got back from a uh, EDC be, in Vegas. I'll be like, wildin' I see you right there, in front row. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I know how you do. So uh, okay. EDC just just happened over the, over the weekend, and uh, it 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 is massive, 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 massive carnival. It it for those of you don't know, it's it's a big electronic music dance. Electronic dance music festival mm-hmm. uh, that is a couple days long and it's in it's in the Speedway in Las Vegas and it used to be here in Los Angeles and every year it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I went to Coachella this year, which was fantastic and giant. This is all electronic dance music all the time. Yeah, I don't know if I could do this one, and I and I and I like this sort of thing. It's just a lot too much for me. But the point I'm trying to make is. The expansion of what this is in the culture and media-wise and what the dollars amount this brings in Las Vegas, the 278 million extra dollars into the Vegas that weekend. We've already talked about how, um, EDM, the, the electronic dance music scene and DJs, Far, they already eclipsed the gambling in some casinos. So, yeah. some casinos like MGM make more off Calvin Harris and Steve Aoki and, our, and, and the beach clubs and the, and, the, and Hakkasan than they do on the casino floor, which absolutely. is insane. So, Vegas, which was now a place of gambling and they try to make it for families and they made mm-hmm. about gambling again, is now really a place for DJs. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think of this whole culture? I mean, man, it's huge. Like, you got to think,
2: you, you kind of you alluded to it. Like, Calvin Harris. He just hit Forbes list of being the highest mu- music entertainer. Yeah. I think like almost fifty million this year as a DJ. As a DJ for performances and record sales, that's ridiculous. I mean, he sings and stuff too, but and man. then I mean, I mean, in terms of uh, festivals and, and, and concerts in the in the United States, it's about a five billion dollar industry. Um, the electronic dance music festivals throughout the world is one billion so you got to think that's that's a huge industry that's a huge amount of money that's being made in the, in the course of a year and so i i think in terms of where we are with music and we kind of talked to it and talked about it in terms of like why records aren't selling and how an artist how can an artist make money is through the experiential aspects of touring right. and performing and, and this is it this the festival the festival culture we are in it and uh, i think you know People want to be, go and experience something with the community. They want to feel that vibe and be connected. And I think with, with this type of music, it's perfect because people just wild out. They have fun, like it's electric, like literally, yeah. it's electric. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so, I think Vegas is the perfect uh, landscape for uh,
1: for this festival. I, I think so too. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not mad at EDC, and I, I probably will end up going um, at some point. Um, it's just, it's not as wild as Burning Man, and not as. Uh, a little more wild than Coachella, but not as wild as Burning Man. But I will go, but yeah, it's very interesting. You're right. You're so much right about how people make the, make these dollars is getting these people, getting these kids there, experiencing them, playing high premium. we talking about $300 a pop, mm-hmm. minimum, to even walk in the door. Mm-hmm. And then you've got concessions and mm-hmm. then you've got uh, you know, uh, merchandising, and then you've got, because it's a festival, you've got all kinds of other, you know, things you need to survive out there in the desert for, for a couple days, and it's, a, and then the, of course the hotels, and driving back and forth, and it's a gigantic industry, and you see this with Coachella even. The biggest stars. If you're, I mean, there's there's no one too big for Coachella. You know, there's no one too big for Coachella. And then even when you are there, you'll have like five or six guests. When Mm -hmm. I saw Pharrell, everyone came out. Absolutely. From you know Jay Z to Rusher to Mary J Blige. I mean, everyone came out like that that, with Pharrell to just be on that Mm -hmm. stage. So and aside aside from the top, the very top artists, you're not going to find
2: masses of people getting together for music. And I think electronic dance music is one of the very few things that can actually pull, you know, thousands of people together all over the world. All over the world
1: from different nationalities, cultures, backgrounds, races, where you don't necessarily get that with some of these music festivals, but the music festival is different because they're contrived right that way. So you may have like arcade fire over here and then Jay-Z over here and then over here you have, you know, the Martinez brothers in one tent and then you have Skrillex over here. I mean, you can, you can have that diverse diversity and that's how you get those diverse groups together in Coachella, Mm -hmm. but it even that this seems a little forced where something like this, it's like, it's a large culture that are all on the same page. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the myth is they're spending money. Oh, for sure. Like the myth is this isn't just a bunch of kids as ravers in, yeah. a, in, a, in a warehouse. Yeah. You know, <laughs> these are people who are spending dollars, yeah, you man. know. Now, uh, the, huge economic shift for the city. But there is, there is the sort of the underlying drug culture that, that's involved in that, which, you know, some people have a problem with, some people, you know, do not. But that is, it's still, a, it's still an interesting thing why this is, why people have, have yet to, corporations have a hard time. Embracing the, embracing the whole world, even you know, so much money get made in there, is that what's a part of it is the underlying drug culture, much like rock and roll. Yeah, that's like psychedelic inherent, that's rock and roll in music, period. Much like co- corporations were like against you know, psychedelic rock and roll in the sixties because it was presumed to be all about taking acid, you know. Right. So um, I don't know. I mean, you have a problem with that?
2: I mean, like I said, that that's that's a part of just that's a part of music culture. Like that's inherent in, in all genres of music. Like people are going to smoke weed. People are going to drink. Right. People are going to pop pills. Right. People are going to do what they're going to do, especially in a festival environment. People want to wild out. They want to, they want to be free.
1: You know I see you. I know, I know, which, I know how you do it. So. <laughs> like, that's not me, bro. <laughs> I, you know, that's not me. sir. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I, I think that's, I think that's, uh, that's it. Well, that, that may be, um, some of us in this room, uh, but, but not, but certainly not me. <laughs> Uh, well, I think that I think that might be it for us today. I mean, I don't know. Um, you have anything else? Anything else you want, to, you want to talk about? You want to add? Anything oh, yeah, like popped
2: up. Yeah. The, have you seen uh, *Edge of Tomorrow* yet? I did see *Edge of Tomorrow*. Man, well, what's your take on that?
1: Um, I loved Edge of Tomorrow. Man, that movie was very, very cool. I was about to I cuss. <laughs> loved Edge of Tomorrow, and the issue—it's really bad that it, it opened very, very, very softly. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and, um, and the question is about whether is Tom Cruise still a bankable movie star because this is a great movie. Yeah. You know, we we talk it all the time, and, and all us critics in Hollywood talk about like we want something original. We don't want any more comic book stuff. We don't want any more sequels. We want an original sci fi story. Mm. Well, here is a largely based on a, a graphic novel, but. Japanese Japanese thing yeah, yeah. but uh, uh largely original unknown story yeah. with a big time movie star great thing and mm-hmm. audiences don't show up man. Why is that a Tom Cruise issue why is that I don't know man it might be I mean, if you just go off the trailer
2: and just the marketing of the movie, like, I thought it was going to be whack. Yeah, yeah. But I gave it a chance. and well, I was why, like, why did you think it was going to be whack? Because do it... it just seemed stupid. It just seemed like, what is this? Right. Like, I didn't I didn't get the concept. Right. And I, I know they couldn't, they couldn't give me the concept because then they would have spoiled it. Right. But, I mean, giving it a try and seeing the movie, I was like, yo, this is tight. Like, this right. is really entertaining. Like, everything about it, I loved
1: it. Yeah, it was great. And Emily Blunt is incredible. She's dope. Uh, my boy, Bill Paxson, you know, he's funny as a sergeant doing his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget all of his lines, but, uh, he was, it's just a great, great, great movie. And it's, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's sort of a groundhog day meets like, you know, saving private Ryan meets, uh, I don't know what <laughs> it's, it's incredible. But anyway, so that, 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 that's my hot pick. I, uh, I saw 22 jump street like that. I saw, uh, what else did I see? That's it. I think I'm behind.
2: Yeah, I, I got. I still got to catch up on X Men. Oh, I saw uh, that. They just, they yeah, I've not seen X Men yet. Um, yeah. there's there's some stuff coming out now we'll see
1: anyway I think that'll do it for us I know
2: you saw saw, Think Like a Man 2 you was there first day right first day (laughs) Think
1: Like a Man deuce (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did not see Think Like a Man 2 but I'm I'm sure it's fantastic I'm not not mad at Kevin Hart or anybody in the film but uh, yeah I missed that one Uh, thank you for joining us Akili Shine where can we find you sir you can find me at
2: Akili Shine A-K-I-L-I Shine on Instagram and Twitter what about yourself I'm
1: Joe Braswell you can find me on Twitter and Instagram (laughs) at Joe K Braswell uh, and uh, around town doing other stuff um, thank you so much for listening to us and downloading us and checking us out on iTunes um, this is how you should be sure to rate us on iTunes as well to so other other people find out about us and and uh, and spread the word that way through our ratings um, and that's I think that's all we got thank you very much for joining us we'll see you next week or next week Fourth of July so see you in two weeks uh, on Geekner Tech.